Welcome back to The Ron Show for Thursday, December 22nd, 2022. We're on the back half on the America One Radio app and AmericaOneRadio.com. I am your host, Ron Roberts. So uh, the entire show today, we've been just diving into this piece that was featured in today's Washington Post at WashingtonPost.com. Uh, the author of this piece, Stephanie McCrumman, uh, she writes uh, this uh, biographical piece is essentially uh, portraying a 33-year-old white male voter in Marjorie Taylor Greene's Georgia 14th District. His name is Cody Johnson. His wife is Aaliyah. And uh, he is your non-college educated uh, union electrician guy, drives an old pickup truck, has a scruffy beard. You'd look at him and you'd think, oh, he's probably a Trump voter. He is the antithesis of a Trump voter. And this story really paints a picture, both of Cody's upbringing and how it helped form the kind of voter he is, despite where he lives and what he's surrounded by in in that sort of, you know, political mindset. And also, I think, just adeptly portrays the Georgia 14th District. Uh, He talks about uh, uh, being 15 and uh, beginning to read uh, the essays of Ralph Waldo Emerson and uh, the librarian letting him keep the essays, essentially. He says, I remember he said something about the great men of history are no greater than you. He remembered reading, whose would be a man must be a nonconformist, along with nothing is at last sacred but the integrity of your own mind. At that point, Cody says he decided he only needed himself to figure life out, saying, I realize all my choices were mine and no one else's. I guess the reason I'm so immersed in this is because, well, well again, I'm pretty familiar with the Georgia 14. I'm also just familiar with the Cody Johnson types. Uh, I grew up in the Harlem and Grovetown, Georgia area in rural-ish, suburban-ish Columbia County outside Augusta. I know guys like Cody. I know women like Cody who may not even be engaged enough to vote because they believe they're in this sea of red MAGA Trumpism, and so they feel like their vote gets canceled out if they don't stand a chance. And gerrymandering does affect a lot of people in that way. It does. That mindset of, well, what's it going to matter? I'm just grateful that a guy like Cody believes that his voice and his vote did matter. A little more about him. He graduated from high school, enlisted the Army, posted to South Korea, where he remembers how it felt telling fellow soldiers about his life for the first time, and looking out his window at the vast city of Daegu, thinking, I could be on the side of the mountain right now, and I'm glad to be where I am. The article that uh, Stephanie wrote here is referring to the fact that he lost friends and loved ones back in his home state who didn't didn't survive that upbringing, didn't get to go out and see the world the way he gets to go out and see the world. Uh, He returned to Northwest Georgia, according to the article. He got married, had a daughter, tried to help his mom out with money when he could. He became a union electrician and mentored apprentices. He avoided church, which he came to see as a death cult. He avoided politics, too, because he did not want to take part in a system that had only two parties, both of which he saw as geared toward helping the powerful instead of regular people like him and everyone he grew up around. From Jasper to Fairmount to Rydall. There's so much that could be done to help people, he said. But after Trump was elected and then Green, politics became almost impossible to ignore, Stephanie McCrumman writes. You couldn't turn around without seeing some sticker, some post promoting 
Violence and hate, he said. It was the red hats, the flags, the conspiracy theories, the bullying, the racism. It was the sheer totality of how the Trump movement seemed to overtake people's minds, he said. Here's another quote from him. To me, anything that starts to dominate everything about you, when you can only interact with an ideal instead of have a conversation, I'm skeptical. Again, this is a guy who did not go to college, but man, that Ralph Waldo Emerson is shining through, am I right? The article continues, but what was the most insulting to him of all was the assumption that he would go along with all of it because of how he looked and where he lived. He started to feel like a spy. He had neighbors who made him aware of a bar near his house that was supposedly a gathering place for people in the white nationalist movement. He got a Facebook invitation to join some militia group which he blocked. He had white co-workers who flagrantly used the N-word and made racist comments to him, and he came to enjoy their shock when he told them to cut it out. It was disgusting that people might think I was okay with that, he said. I decided I wasn't going to just let it slide, because if you let it slide, you become complicit, and complicity turns into guilt, and guilt turns into shame, and shame turns into fear, and I don't want to live in fear. Okay, here's the part where the cool wife comes in. This is where she gets some props, too. He came to see the Trump movement rising all around him as built upon exactly that kind of fear. And when 2020 came around, he remembered his his wife telling him that all his philosophizing meant nothing if he did not take action. He remembers how it felt to vote for the first time. 31 years old voting for the first time. There was this well-dressed fellow, he recalled. He was pleasant. And as we were leaving, he said... We've got to keep them demon Democrats from stealing the election. Cody told the reporter he thought he knew how I was going to vote because of my skin color. And I said, are you serious? Nah. And just so you know, I just canceled you out. So suck on that. (laughs) So my ex-sister-in-law, who I still consider my sister, she and I are so close, uh, texted me after I sent this to her. And she said, wow, just wow. I want this to go viral. I want everyone in the country to be required to read it. This is it. This is perfect. She, of course, uh, is a year younger than I am and lives in the Georgia 14 herself, outside Cedartown. She said, it's so refreshing to hear his story and standing up for what is right rather than doing what is expected from someone like him. This seriously lifted my heart. Okay, so the last little part I want to read from this article, uh, and then I, I would insist that you you seek it out. Uh, in fact, I'm hoping I can share this uh, paywall-free version uh, of the link uh, on the Ron Show blog later at ronshowetl.com. He had been part of a minor uprising against Trumpism all across the country, a revolt of contrarians and others who defied expectations of pundits, polls, and even the Democratic Party itself. Sometimes he and his wife discussed how the Trump movement had ever taken root in this place they loved and sometimes hated and nonetheless had chosen to make their home. The hardest part is the juxtaposition of knowing these are good, kind, loving, caring people here, Johnson's wife would say. It's like they put their morality in a box. I'm going to be honest. The reason this story resonates with me so much and the reason I've spent so much time talking about it on today's show is because, well, A, again, my former in-laws, my, my, my ex-husband's family, they're all from this part of the state. Not that that part of the state is somehow indifferent than folks in southwest Georgia might be, folks in southeast Georgia might be, northeast Georgia, central Georgia. I have run into 
folks who might look like Cody Johnson but don't think like Cody Johnson. And I've run into folks who do look like Cody Johnson and think like Cody Johnson. Unfortunately, the former outnumbers the latter by a lot. And it's perplexing because as as you heard me just rap with, you know, that last statement, uh, you know, from from Cody's wife, it's about they put their morality in a box. These are good people. By and large, good people. That you know, that that colloquial shirt off your back kind of people. Be there for you after a storm to help chainsaw the trees out of the yard. I mean, these are good people. I go to church when I would go to church with my ex-husband's family. His father was a minister, a Pentecostal minister. <laughs> Put a pin in that. There's a lot of stories, but uh <laughs> when you're dealing with the same sex couple. But Nonetheless, these were, that's, that's the thing, though. I'm telling you, these are good people, kind-hearted people, loving, welcoming people. And yet, you wouldn't think that a Marjorie Taylor Greene represents their values. You wouldn't think that a Donald Trump represents their values. And yet, for a large part of the last six years, and continuing with Marjorie, she does get to represent their values, or misrepresent, I should say. My uh, father-in-law is a really good guy, and I know that, kind of off the record, he ain't fond of Donald Trump, and I'm sure by that same measure, he ain't fond of Marjorie Taylor Greene either. Not that he was going to run out and vote for Joe Biden or Marcus Flowers, but he wasn't wild about voting for the other two. And if... You made him swear on a Bible. He probably didn't vote in 2020 for Donald. And I, my guess would be he probably didn't vote for Marjorie. Then again, when you're in Georgia 14, it's a pretty safe bet somebody else, fivefold, did vote for Marjorie. So no big deal if he didn't show up and vote. Now, that being said, his wife, my former mother-in-law, love her dearly. She is a sweetheart. She really is. She loves Donald Trump. <laughs> she loves Marjorie Taylor Greene. Tells it like it is. I can just hear her saying, tells it like it is. But that's not representative of who my former mother-in-law is. And that's the perplexing thing. It's the morality in the box thing that kind of gets me. When the article's author, Stephanie McCrumman, paraphrases Marjorie Taylor Greene with, they hate you, that's... That's sort of the sentiment that I think inflames the political will of folks in that region of the country. And you know what? If we're being honest, liberals, progressives, sometimes we don't do a very good job of engaging these folks to dispel that narrative. Can I just tell you, speaking of my mother-in-law, and or my ex-mother-in-law, and I'm not trying to like spill the tea or embarrass her or anything like that, but like... Before we met, I reached out to her on social media because, first of all, it was a shock to her and the entire family that their son was gay. And then that he met somebody else and that somebody else had the audacity to reach out to her in a message on social media. Yeah, I did because I, I, I wanted to be friendly. I wanted, I wanted this to be nice. It was anything but nice. Initially. But she didn't know a whole lot of gay people. (laughs) 
She didn't. This is Cedartown, Georgia. I, I happen to know that there are a few there, but you don't run into them at the, at the church social. So what started out as a relationship of come near my grandkids and I may have to shoot you became, I just got a, I just got a Christmas card from them a couple days ago. Literally, they signed it. We love you. We're not, I'm not even still like in their family technically, but they are still family to me. That's the, and, and, and what changed that? Well, what changed that is I engaged with them. Over the course of 10 years, I engaged with them. But when you don't have, and, 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 and Marcus Flowers showed that when you actually campaign to win votes, you actually make some headway. He did 10 percentage points better against Marjorie Taylor Greene, or she did 10 percentage points worse, because he was an engaging candidate. I said this during the gubernatorial race. Stacey Abrams has got to get out of the big city bubbles. She's got to go out and see voters where they are in whatever county they're in. This is what I'm talking about, y'all. The easiest way to dispel a demonization is to show up and be what you actually are versus what you've been caricaturized as being. When Marjorie Taylor Greene says, they hate you, well, pardon my French, but no, lady, you're wrong. I love those people. I love them enough to point out that you, as their representative, bring nothing to their district and have made no plaudits about bringing anything to their district now that your party's in control. Fantastic piece in the Washington Post. You'll see it in the show notes today at ronshowatl.com, at ronshowatl on Twitter. We're back after this on the America One Radio app, americaoneradio.com. Incidentally, for those who don't know, my full-time job is that I am a realtor, a real estate agent with eXp Realty. And you can dive right into the latest listings, get your home value checked out, check out open houses by visiting me at ronontheal.com. Even share some uh, blog posts that has me focusing in on the real estate industry and trends. Obviously, interest rates are climbing right now, which has a lot of folks thinking, oh, that means the market's going to go south. Mm, Atlanta's, Atlanta's a different animal. Money Magazine actually says that Atlanta is the number one place to live, the best place to live in the United States. And by 2040, there will be two and a half million more of us living in Metro Atlanta. There's like six million now. That's a big chunk of people coming in the next 18 years. And I know what you're thinking. Oh, 18 years, that's, that's a long way from now. Do you know it was 18 years ago we were all jamming in the club to a new song called Yeah by Usher, Lil John, and Ludacris? Yeah. <laughs> Not all that long ago, right? Life moves pretty fast. Ferris Bueller, thank you. Currently, we are seeing mortgage interest rates at or above 7%. That's a far cry from the below 3% figures we were enjoying the last two years, but they're not all that different than what they were in 2004, 18 years ago. And by 2040, if you pull the trigger on a home purchase or a rental income investment property today, you'd be either done with it if you chose a 15-year mortgage or more than halfway through a 30-year note with equity growing by the year in a local housing market needing space for two and a half million more people by 2040. What I'm saying is what you buy now is likely going to be wildly more valuable in 2040 or even 2030. It really is good to be number one, especially if you own your own home or a rental income property or both in Metro Atlanta. Hit me up, Ron at rononthereal.com, 843-283-0078, Georgia MLS 396-720.